Welcome to Rome. This is The Bittersweet Life with Katie Sewell and Tiffany Parks. Hello, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. And today we're going to talk about sadness. Aww. Well, not sadness so much as one particular symptom of sadness, which is crying. That's right. But you know what, Katie? Crying does not always signify sadness. That's true. Sometimes you cry for happiness. I think I often cry for happiness. I think you do. Or actually, maybe it's a mix. It's like a mix of sadness and happiness. It's kind of like, like bittersweet, <laughs> like a bittersweet feeling. The show is pervading my emotions now. <laughs> <laughs> I think you can also cry when you're moved by something. Oh, like I'm hearing a baby cry right now. Uh-huh. Is he moved by something? <laughs> He's moved by his discomfort with having been put to bed. Oh my god. Why is he crying just as we start taping? Let's see if he just stops for a second. I don't think you know my baby. Do you have the time for me to go for 10 minutes and come back? Yeah. I gotta go. I'll call you back. I'll call you back. Okay, so through the magic of editing, we did pause and let Tiffany go address whatever what it was that was making Aurelio cry. <laughs> I feel like he was just doing it for the audience. I think so, too. He's a Leo. He's a born performer. He's such a performer. <laughs> I can't wait till he's reading poetry and waxing poetic on our show. <laughs> oh, I'm no, oh, you know what he does? I mean, no one wants to hear about other people's kids. But if I say Aurelio sing, he'll go... Ah, uh, <laughs> I think that's pretty cute. I think it's pretty cute. Well, can we have him do that? Not right now because he's sleeping, but maybe someday. <laughs> yeah, maybe we can make it our new theme song. <laughs> At least for one week. He's very funny. I'll give him that. Yeah, well, he's got to have some good things going for him because <laughs> he loves to cry. At least at night when he should be sleeping. Yeah, he's not a he's not a terrible crier. He just he can't stay asleep. He can fall asleep. He just can't stay asleep. That's that's not really his problem. Yeah. I have that problem. <laughs> and I'm an adult. So maybe you never get over it. I don't know. Oh God, please don't say that. In fact I could tell you I woke up at four o'clock in the morning this morning. Oh. And I could not go back to sleep. That's a bad time. That's like the worst hour of the night because it's too late to be like, oh, I'm just up late. And it's too early to be, oh, I'm just getting up early. You know, it's like that dead hour of the night that no one should be awake at that time. Right. And it's also close enough to when you need to get up that it makes you feel like you can't actually really fall back asleep again. Not that I'm getting up at five, but yeah, I'm just saying it, it has that thing where you're like, okay, if I fall asleep right now, if I fall asleep right now, then I can still get however many hours and then as you lay there awake well now I only have two hours <laughs> now I only have you know it's awful but anyway that's beside the point that is awful it's making me tired just thinking about it it's making me feel like crying <laughs> which is back to our topic uh no the actual topic is not just crying for the sake of talking about crying but I heard this quote and I don't know the quote so I'm not going to quote it directly but I heard somebody say that you should pay attention to when things make you cry unexpectedly because that might be telling you something that's very important about yourself. Some subconscious thing maybe, maybe it's an issue that you haven't dealt with. Mm. They're not talking about you're in the middle of a giant breakup conversation and you burst into tears or you're leaving Rome like you all got to hear me do and crying on the tape. <laughs> <laughs> That was the first in radio, by the way. <laughs> so it's talking about more of those unexpected moments. Like maybe you're reading a book. Maybe you're watching a play. Maybe you're looking at a piece of art or a commercial on television or something like that. And all of a sudden you find that you have tears in your eyes. 
And I thought it was an interesting concept. And I was wondering if there's anything like that for you. Honestly, I don't cry in movies almost ever. I think I cried in Life is Beautiful. Mm. But I think if you didn't cry in Life is Beautiful, you have no heart. I really <laughs> like if there's one movie in the world that can make you cry, it better, better be that one. But I honestly, besides that movie, I don't remember the last time I cried when I saw a movie. But there are other things that have made me cry. What, but what about you? Like what, what movies have you cried in recently? I feel like anyway, you are more prone to shedding a tear than I am for some reason. Would you agree? Yeah, yeah. I think almost anybody would agree <laughs> with that. I don't. I wish it wasn't like that. But yeah, I, I often express emotions with tears or sleeping. <laughs> sleeping? Well, you know, like I just, uh, you know, if it's like a bad day or something awful happened, I'm less likely to be furious with somebody and more likely to think, nah, I'm tired. I just get weary. That's interesting. Yeah. Derek calls it soul tired. Mm. Worn out and I can't take it anymore. And so I go and sleep okay and otherwise i'm i am prone to tears and i hate to admit like what movies i've cried in because i you know <laughs> some of them are so embarrassed let me guess let me just like okay this is a random guess last of the mohicans <laughs> <laughs> we've talked about that movie a lot on this podcast i know i know that's a good callback that's comedy right there i feel like last of the mohicans is an in joke for this podcast it is yeah you know and i bet last of the mohicans did make me cry at one point but i'm so far past that now that <laughs> <laughs> uh you know now it just makes me feel nostalgic but no, I do remember watching Young Guns 2. Young Guns 2? Not Young Guns 1, Young Guns 2, and crying my eyes out in that one. In fact, both me and my sister were crying so hard we could barely see, <laughs> which is ridiculous. Uh, I, I don't remember that film. I know. You probably never saw it. I don't think I saw one. I don't think I saw the first one. Well, it's not important. It is entertaining and sad, but... Mm -hmm. But, you know, even just the other day, I was watching the movie version of a book I read, and I knew what was going to happen. I had just read the book. It was, sometimes I like to do that where I do a back-to-back, -back, read the book, watch the movie, and see how they're different when I can really remember what happened in the book. Mm. I kind of find it fascinating to see what elements of the book they choose to cut out mm -hmm. because of time and clarity. Even that, I knew that the book ended sadly, even then, I got all teary. Do you agree with that quote you just quoted? Do you think that there's a reason? Can you can you analyze yourself and try to figure out why those particular films have made you cry? Hmm. Something to do with love and loss. Hmm. But I don't know what... Th that doesn't fit with Young Guns too, though. <laughs> well, how old were you when, when that happened? Oh, I was like a high school student. Let me Let me tell you a different example, and then you can analyze it for me. Okay. Another thing that always, without a doubt, will make me get a big lump in my throat or like pinch back the tears is if I see a live performance and I see a group of people doing something together that strikes me as beautiful. And the play itself can be super happy. It doesn't have to be a moving play. It doesn't have to be a sad play. It's just something about whenever the plot crescendos, or it has a beautiful moment, it makes me want to cry. Does that make sense? See, I think that's really lovely. Hmm. 
I mean, because a lot of people cry when they see something sad, maybe because they identify with the situation or they empathize with the characters. But to cry simply because something is so beautiful, I think that's an indication of the depth of your soul. Well, that's very kind. I think it is. It has to be people working together, though. That seems to be the central theme. That's interesting. And what is that about? I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) Does Um, that, like, harken back to our theater days? Could be. I almost feel like that's too direct a line. It's something to explore, for sure. When you were talking about that, you made me think of something that my husband said to me on our first date. Oh. It was kind of how he got a second date. (laughs) Because when I started dating my husband, I... We had met very briefly. We had run into each other in a work situation, but we'd never met. And then we met at a party. And then the next time we saw each other was on this date. So I didn't know him at all. And I had some preconceived notions about him just based on... The fact that he was dressed as a centurion when you were... <laughs> no, <laughs> actually not because of that. I thought that was cute. I thought that was... I like it when, when people dress up in costumes and aren't afraid to do that. But no, because let's just say for a number of reasons. And I, so I thought, you know, I just thought, oh, he's probably going to be one of those Italian guys who is a bit superficial and into his appearance and into maybe sports, you know, doesn't probably have a lot of depth to him. I have to admit, that's what I thought just on the first date. We'd had a really nice dinner. He'd taken me to my favorite restaurant without knowing that it was my favorite. So that was, he already like, you know, started on the right foot. Um, Give the tip for people who are who are in Rome, which is the favorite restaurant. Okay, it's Taverna Trilusa. It's, I should say it's one of my favorite restaurants. Taverna Trilusa in Trastevere. It's really good. And if you go there, you have to have the ravioli mimosa. Unbelievable. Okay. Insider tip. But anyway, so we went to a quiet little bar afterwards. And I said to him, you know, you kind of look like a painting by Caravaggio. <laughs> and he kind of rolled his eyes a little bit and he said, yeah, I know people have told me that before. Yep. And I've since, of course, you know, figured out which painting it was. And he looks identical, except he looks older. Obviously, the character being painted looks quite, quite young, like a 14 year old or something. Obviously, he looks like a grown man. <laughs> but besides, besides the chubby cheeks and the grape leaves in his hair, he looks very, very similar to one of the um, models that Caravaggio used. Should I post that picture on our website? Yeah, might as well go ahead. He'll be mad about that. But that's what happens when you are married to a radio personality. What can I say? Uh, yeah, enter into these marriages with caution. Of course, he <laughs> he didn't know this was going to happen at that time. Yes, of course. But yes, I will post the picture so that you can see what Claudio looks like, sort of. Don't put a caption on it, though, please. Don't I put won't. a caption. I won't. <laughs> that's thebittersweetlife.net if you want to see that. Okay, go ahead. So anyways, the point is, I, you know, we started, this kind of started a conversation about Caravaggio. Obviously, you all know that I love Caravaggio. And I didn't know that he also loved Caravaggio. So we were talking about Caravaggio already. And I'm thinking, oh, okay, maybe this guy has a little bit more to him than I thought. And then I, I brought up this situation that happened when I was in Naples with a girlfriend of mine a few years prior. A friend who is really not interested in art in any way happy to go to a museum and and learn about art, but just didn't have a lot of artistic background. I was on a Caravaggio hunt, obviously, as you you know, as you are as well. 
And so there are three Caravaggio paintings in Naples. And sorry, this is turning into a long story. I'm going to try to shorten it. No, go on. No, it's fine. <laughs> there are three Caravaggio paintings in Naples. And one of them is at a big museum called Capo di Monte. So we were at the museum looking for this painting. And we turn a corner. And at the end of the hallway, there is the painting. And there's a kind of a spotlight shining on it. This girlfriend of mine, who, as I said, you know, was not an art fan whatsoever, she stopped and she gasped when she saw it. That just testifies to Caravaggio's genius that he can move people who who really don't know anything about art and don't have a, a lot of background in it. So I was telling Claudio this. He kind of paused and said, do you know why I think people cry when they see great art? And I said, no, why? And he said, because I think that they realize how close they are to God and it scares them. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so that, as I said, that was what earned him a second date. I'll say, good Lord. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's an interesting thought too, isn't it? Yeah. I think there is something divine in great art whether it's a performance or a work of visual art or music. And I don't know. I don't know if it's fear or if it's just the awe that being in the presence of something divine, quote unquote, divine can inspire in you. Yeah, so interesting. It's not even that it's rare. It's rare enough that it completely stops you in your tracks. But if you search for it, you can find pretty divine, to use that word, artistic moments or things not in daily life certainly but in life it depends what you bring into your daily life I remember when I was how old I could have only been 14 or something so 13 or 14 when I was sort of discovering opera and my mom bought me the cd it was my first cd ever um so that kind of dates me but whatever um (laughs) she bought me this cd of Kiri Takanoa who's to this day my favorite opera singer singing Puccini arias And I cried when I listened to that. Absolutely cried. What kind of crying though? Like sob, weeping? No, 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 no. Tears, tears in my eyes. Misty eyes, misty eyes. Misty eyes, like one solitary tear rolling down your cheek. At most. I don't even know if I got that far, but definitely misty eyed. But actually there's a more recent thing that I can tell you about. The really only time that I can think of that I cried when I saw a work of art. And it wasn't because... It was so beautiful. It wasn't that. It wasn't because it was divine. It was one of those things where I identified with one of the characters in the work of art. So I was basically in Vienna. It was about a week after a really bad breakup. And it was the only breakup in my life ever in which I was the one who was 100% left. (laughs) And so it wasn't mutual and it wasn't me doing the leaving. So I was feeling really sorry for myself. And, you know, you said something about love and loss. And that is what can cause you to cry, I think, more than anything else in films and books anyway, I think. So I can't even remember which museum it was. It's the one that has a lot of Klimt in it. So I walk in and there was a like a school class there. And there were, you know, a handful of students and there was an art history professor talking about it. And she was talking about The Kiss by Klimt. And right next to it was a painting by Sheila, which I think is called Death and the Maiden, if I remember correctly. 
she was describing the the difference between these two paintings. And of course, those two artists are contemporaries. And so everyone knows The Kiss. I mean, that's kind of an iconic painting that most people can think of, even if they are not looking at it. The Death and the Maiden, on the other hand, well, it's a very different artistic style. I don't know enough about that time period to describe it. But I will say that it's a self-portrait of the artist sitting down and then kneeling in front of him is a woman who is embracing him, but she's kind of hugging his waist because she's sort of like leaning down. So she's kind of like resting her head against his lap and she's crying and you can see that she's been crying and he looks very upset as well. So this art historian was saying, you know, look at the difference between these two women. Look at the woman in Klimt's The Kiss and she has these rosy cheeks and she's so full of love and her lover is kissing her and she's just reflecting this love that she's receiving. Whereas this other woman in the Sheila painting, she's red around her eyes. She's been crying and she's ashen. She's not at the beginning of her love affair. She's at the end of it. She went on to explain that this was a painting that Sheila did after he decided to leave his mistress. I think he had a mistress and he had a wife and one of them had given him an ultimatum and he had chosen his wife. So his mistress, he was leaving her and It was kind of that moment that I think everybody has lived, everybody who's old enough to have at least one failed love affair, that kind of moment right before it ends where you're just sort of embracing them for the last time. And you're both sad, whether you're the leaver or the leavey, it's just, it's bad. It's just a bad situation. And because I had just gone through it a week before I just started sobbing when I saw that painting, absolutely sobbing. And I will never forget it. The painting is not particularly beautiful, but it is just so moving for people who've been there. Yeah. And I think we all have. Oh, of course. And not to make light of your story, but at that point, did all the little kids turn around and look at you with their mouths agape? (laughs) (laughs) Well, first, they weren't little kids. They were all like college students. Oh, okay. They were not that much younger than I was at the time, but um, I don't think that they noticed. I think they were all absorbed in what their teacher was saying. She was a great teacher, uh, and I like almost wanted to follow her around for the entire um, time, but it would have been obvious. You should have. Meld <laughs> yeah. into the class. <laughs> yeah. Wow, that's lovely. That's not the same as crying because something is so divine or so beautiful. I cried. <laughs> this is going to... This is embarrassing it can't possibly be embarrassing <laughs> as embarrassing as crying at the end of young guns too <laughs> that's true nothing can top that hey that movie is full of sadness <laughs> <laughs> it just has a terrible title uh anyway but yes you definitely do need to be attached to the characters to cry for that film which i was so the other night derek and i were sitting outside and this irish song came up I think it's called Shularu. I'm not sure how it's pronounced. But this Irish song came up and I said, let's listen to that. And Derek said, let's not. <laughs> and I said, no, let's listen to it. And the only people I knew that had performed that song that I could easily look up were uh, the Celtic women. And I don't know who, if you know who they are, but no, they are this group of women who are quite talented singers who are often seen performing on public television. That's the best description I can give of them, really. Anyway, they sing a version of that song. So I looked it up. I played it for Derek. And I don't know if you ever listen to music through YouTube. When you play a song, sometimes it automatically clicks over to another song and then another song. Yeah. And so it just started clicking over onto Celtic women's songs, right? 
And the song May It Be by Enya came on, which they were performing, but it's an Enya song, and I know that. And I don't know if you know that song. I don't. But that song is a song that plays during the Lord of the Rings trilogy. And it's got this deep sense of longing and how far you are from where your home is. You should look at the lyrics. I will. Just has this kind of like wistful sadness. Maybe I'll put it part of it at the end of this podcast and everybody can listen to it. But all of a sudden I found that I was just sitting there trying not to cry, feeling that sort of wistful sadness. It's both like this combination of feeling like you're so far from quote unquote home, right? Mm -hmm. But it also has this epic journey feeling to it because the first time that song got famous was because it was from that movie, which of course is about an epic journey, like people undertaking this amazing journey together. While I can't put my finger on what it was that was making me upset, I can just say that it just made me wish maybe that my life was more epic somehow or that I was on some grand adventure. I could identify with that feeling of what it feels like to be so far out in the wilderness from where you feel like you want to be that it's wistful and dreamy but also terribly sad does that make sense at all yeah yeah you can tell i'm picking off the top of my head here and that i don't know what i'm talking about well that's what this podcast is all about yeah i'm trying to analyze something that i didn't analyze at the time but that's the whole point of this quote people (laughs) is that is that you're supposed to analyze what it is that makes you cry even if it's a Folgers commercial of a guy coming home from war. Oh, absolutely, it. absolutely. I mean, that commercial is like a heart-wrencher for people. I mean, I don't watch a lot of TV, especially, I mean, I don't watch any American TV because I don't have access to it, but I remember how commercials used to make me cry. Seriously. I'll tell you, when I was pregnant, everything made me cry. <laughs> everything. I mean, and that's, of course, because, you know, your hormones are all wet. Messed yeah, up, that but... must have been so shocking to you, being a person that doesn't really cry. Yeah, it was It was ridiculous. It was... Like, I've lost it. Yeah, I, I used to get mad at myself. I'd be like, are you kidding me? You're crying in this? Stop it. Stop it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Commercials can do it because they have such a short time frame to just pack you a wallop of emotion. There was a commercial once. It was a commercial where there's this lamp that's sitting out on a corner amongst bags of trash. And it's one of those lamps that kind of bends in the middle so it can lean over your desk. If you know what I mean? If you've seen a Pixar movie, it's the same kind of lamp that jumps out. and Yes. So it's one of those lamps. And it's just sitting out there with the trash, bent in half a little bit. And then it flashes inside the house. And you can see a woman who's very happy. And she's setting up a new lamp. And then it goes back outside to the darkness where this other lamp is sitting. And then it goes back to the new lamp and back to the (laughs) the old lamp (laughs) and the new lamp. And then it starts to pour, pouring rain. So now this old lamp is sitting in the pouring rain. The people are settling in happily on their couch under the light of the new lamp. And then an announcer comes on and goes, what are you feeling sad for? It's just a lamp and the new (laughs) lamp is much better. It's hilarious. It is hilarious, but it just shows you how easily manipulated we can be, like, with even inanimate objects, if they're put into the right filming circumstances. It's not just about being manipulated. Yes, it's definitely about being manipulated. But I think it's also about, I think people do empathize with people, animals, and objects. My husband cannot throw away 
the pencils, when they get really tiny, 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 tiny little nub, he feels bad <laughs> about it. He's like, no, but this pencil is just this tiny. It's so tiny now. Like, I can't just throw it away. Yeah, no, I can totally relate to that. <laughs> Growing up, I had, I had a plastic container that said on the side, balloon hospital. <laughs> and... <laughs> Oh any God. balloon that popped that's went in there that's hilarious i know and sometimes i'd pull them back out again but you know if you keep stuffing balloons into a little container eventually they just sort of fuse into one big <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> balloon mass right right so i can totally understand i can totally understand well let me ask you this to end since we're coming toward the end of our time here do you like when something unexpectedly makes you cry or do you kind of not appreciate it? It depends. It depends, A, if I'm alone or if I'm with someone else. If I'm alone, I don't mind crying. If I'm with someone else, I get embarrassed. Actual embarrassment? Yes. For example, sometimes, okay, I will say something else that makes me cry. And this is kind of embarrassing. So we might as well both share an embarrassing story. <laughs> oh, God. Okay, I'll try to think of one. I sometimes, and I'm not going to say I cry because I don't actually cry actually no that's not true occasionally I will have tears in my eyes but what happens is my voice gets all like wobbly mm -hmm. when I'm reading children's books to my son like baby books not all of them but a couple of them and I'm not even talking about like I love you forever because I don't even actually have that book but books like uh, on the night you were born or guess how much I love you. If you have a young child out there, you probably know these books. Or even silly books like Giraffes Can't Dance. I honestly get to the end, like where like the little conclusion is. And I honestly cannot read the last pages without choking up. And it embarrasses me. <laughs> it's cute though. No, but it's really, it's embarrassing. It's like, okay, this is, first of all, I've read this book like 20 times. How is it that I can't get through it without choking up? Yeah. But there you go. That's motherhood for you. Yeah. But I think that that, I don't know. I think that's lovely. It depends. It depends. But then again, what do you think is making you cry? Well, I think for a book like Guess How Much I Love You, you know, it's the, the parent, the daddy rabbit is talking to the baby rabbit. The father rabbit basically is telling the, the little one how much he loves him, you know, even, you know. The child thinks that he loves the uh, the parent more than it is possible. And, and the parent basically says, oh, I love you that much, but even more. And, oh, my God, I'm starting to choke up. See, even just telling the story. Even just talking about it. Yeah. Because you know how much you love your child and you know that that's real. And so you're telling a story, but you know that it's it's a true thing. Yeah. But does it also make you choke up because it makes you think of your own parents? And for goodness sake, tell your family to settle down in the background. <sighs> Sorry. <they're, laughs> you can't tell Italians to be quiet. It doesn't work. Um, I call me selfish, but I always think of my baby when I read that story. I don't actually think of my parents. <laughs> well, that's okay. I was just curious. Do you ever choke up when you tell a story? I do. I probably won't choke up now in telling you this story. And I'm going to make it brief. I think part of what makes me choke up is I wrote it down once. And so it's like an essay that's out in the world. And sometimes when I encounter it again, it still brings up these emotions. About four years ago, as you all know, my father was diagnosed with brain cancer. I think we've talked about it on this show before. And 
at the time, the doctors told us that he was only going to live for maybe a year, maybe a year, up to two years, somewhere in there. And so we were trying to, I don't know, register that, come to terms with it. And we were in South Carolina, and we went for this early morning beach walk together. Whenever we're near a beach, we do an early morning beach walk. And we were talking about this situation. I got super choked up, and I just said, I don't know that I'm ready for you to die. And he said, I don't think that you can ever be ready. When my father died, and his father died a very slow death from cancer, so we all went to visit him before he died. He said, I thought I was prepared, but then I was not prepared when it actually happened for what it means to be a person alive on the planet when your parent is no longer there that you can never be ready. Yeah, no matter your age. Yeah. And I mean, I feel like I've been trying to process the idea that my parents will die my entire life. <laughs> so, <laughs> because I've always been like, you know, you know me. Think about death. I don't always assume, but I, anytime I say goodbye to somebody that it might be the last time that I see them. Oh my gosh, how morose. Well, not every time. <laughs> it's not like I leave work and I'm like, Goodbye, everyone. <laughs> and literally, goodbye, just in case. Um, <laughs> no, oh my God, it's hilarious. not that bad. But like the people that you really love, or particularly when like it comes to grandparents and things like that, you know, you just never know when it will be the last time. So I didn't cry during that story, but you can see why in kind of revisiting it, that it would make you feel tearful, even in reading your own writing, which is such a weird experience to have. I know. Having something that you wrote make you cry. I know. Isn't that odd? <laughs> or, That's make meta, you, or make right you there. laugh. Have you ever laughed at your own writing? Oh, yeah. Hilarious. Definitely. I love those moments. That's why I write. It's for the moments when I read back over something I wrote, burst out laughing. Or you don't even quite remember writing it, maybe. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. it's like something Absolutely. that you wrote a long time ago. That is why people do art, I think, is for those moments when they can surprise themselves. At least, maybe that's why I do it. I shouldn't generalize with everybody. But anyway, we are running long, so should we leave it there? Let's leave it there. I feel like we've given everybody enough to think about. Mm-hmm. Tell us so. what makes you cry and why you think it makes you cry. Yes, and pay attention in the next week to moments when you unexpectedly tear up. Now, we're not talking sobbing. You can just get the lump in your throat. But pay attention to those moments and maybe you'll discover something about yourself that's longing for something or desiring something that you don't currently have. Or is particularly moved by something you do have, like Tiffany's reading kids' books and crying. Anyway, and be sure to visit our website, bittersweetlife.net, if you want to see that Caravaggio picture of Claudio. We could also put up the Sheila one. Yes. See the painting that made me sob. I will. I will put that up too. Uh, what else? They should... Twitter, Facebook. Uh, we haven't been terribly active there this summer, but I'm trying. I need to try. I I've been I've been in moving hell. Yes, Tiffany is forgiven because she's still not completely moved into her apartment. That's the update on that story. But she's so sick of the entire experience that we're not even going to talk about it. Maybe we'll talk about it once you recover from the trauma of all of it. And otherwise, yeah, Twitter at Bittersweet Pod, Facebook facebook.com slash the bittersweet life podcast i believe links are also at the bittersweetlife.net and that's it spread the word tell your friends 
review us on iTunes, all that good stuff. I hate when people do this on podcasts, so I'm going to end it there. <laughs> Is there anything else you want to say? <laughs> Just um, see you next week. Yeah. Have fun crying, everybody. This is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. Talk to you next week. Bye. Thanks for all the ways you support us. Give us a good rating on iTunes. Maybe five stars if you like the show. It will help other people discover that we exist. Thank you. You're the best. <laughs>